Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Thursday, September 24th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, as the state state enters fall, COVID-19 transmission is trending down, but there are still concerns over access to the ballot in the heat of a pandemic. Then the pro-life 40-day vigil kicked off yesterday. We examine how the debate over reproductive rights is manifesting at the state's only abortion clinic. Plus, in our book club, imagine that a DNA sample could tell you what you should be doing with your life. That's the premise of M.O. Walsh's novel, Big Door Prize. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. After a summer of widespread transmission, state officials say COVID-19 infections are trending down as the state enters fall. State Health Officer Thomas Dobbs says doing enough of the right stuff helps reduce the um, R-naught value, a metric used to measure transmission. We're very pleased that we've seen the, this fall trend um, go, go so well thus far, you know, knock on wood. Uh, the coronavirus I think is a little bit is a little bit sort of finicky, and if you do just enough of the right stuff, you can get that R naught value less than one. And if you get less than one, then you're just constantly driving it down. It's just a matter of how fast you drive it down. And I think combination of masks, a little bit better social distancing, and I think that the um, the attentiveness and the seriousness with which the school systems and also especially the schools because they have a little bit more control and the colleges have done a fantastic job. It's but that kind of gets to the second part of your question. It's social stuff. It's social stuff is killing us um, uh, as far as like when we were having outbreaks. It's parties, and it's even like small gatherings um, of, of, of people getting together. And then if we look at the school settings, where we're seeing the most of our outbreaks and transmission, it's not really going to be in these controlled, structured settings within the classroom. It seems mostly to be in athletics or extracurriculars where we know there's going to be more chaotic movement and less control as far as the um, – where kids are and wearing the mask and all that kind of stuff. So um, we hope that everybody just keeps up the good work because I, I think we can continue to keep it down and get to the fall if we just maintain masking, distancing, especially as we go into the holidays, there will be those new challenges. 
The steady decline in infections comes as Mississippians prepare to head to the polls. Absentee voting began this week, and a lawsuit currently in federal court seeks to ease the procedures for voting absentee. As the weather cools and flu season approaches, public concerns over crowded polling precincts are becoming more immediate. Governor Tate Reeves says he believes in-person voting can occur safely in Mississippi. Polling precincts are decided at the county level. They're not decided at the state level. And so should a polling precinct need to be changed uh, or potentially eliminated, uh, then, then the way in which to, to do that is, is to talk to their local county supervisors. Um, with respect to voting and voting in person in a safe way, um, I anticipate that uh, the state is going to provide um, PPE for every uh, person that is working the polls. Uh, and the state has provided millions and millions and millions of community masks uh, for individuals, and and there will be uh, masks available uh, between now and, and election day as well that people will have the opportunity uh, to um, to get uh, so that they can wear a mask. And I think we're going to have a safe election. I think we're going to have far more people vote in 2020 than voted in 2019. And so we have countless examples of elections having taken place uh, throughout the state of Mississippi during the coronavirus that have been done safely, and I feel confident that the election in November of 2020 uh, can be carried out in the same manner. The deadline to register to vote is October 5th. Those who qualify to vote absentee can do so in person up to October 31st. The Mississippi Supreme Court ruled last week that personal concern over contracting the coronavirus is not a qualifier for an absentee ballot. A physician's note of isolation or quarantine is required. Those in favor of expanding absentee voting worry a person testing positive for COVID-19 or put under quarantine two days before the election could be disenfranchised. Governor Reeves believes such persons would still have sufficient time to vote absentee. I don't think it's too late to vote absentee um, three or four or five days before uh, the uh, election. There are um, in a scenario, if, if, if there was an election yesterday, for instance, and in f- two Senate districts and in two House districts, and in the election that occurred yesterday, uh, we had somewhere in the neighborhood of 20,000 Mississippians voted in those, in those four elections. And I have not uh, been informed of any any voter that was unable to vote due to COVID-19. If you're talking about um, today, for instance, we had 500 cases uh, uh, today. And so I think um, I, I don't anticipate that there being any, any uh, real challenges with individuals uh, that are trying to, to get to the polls to vote. Um, if they have COVID-19, they can vote absentee. Um, if it happens on Election Day, um, then obviously those are things that we'll, we'll have to deal with. Uh, again, I think in an election that's probably going to have 1.2 million voters, uh, you're probably looking at a couple of hundred cases here. Um, but we'll, we definitely want to look at it and, and, and check it out. There is no deadline to apply for an absentee ballot. Ballots must be postmarked by November 3rd and received by November 10th to be tallied by election commissioners. The seasonal shift is also prompting Dr. Dobbs to push harder for residents to get their flu shots. He says with the looming threat of the coronavirus, the shot is a tool residents can use to keep the strain off the health care system. 
it's so very important. It's, it's a tool we have in our tool chest that we can execute now to prevent um, additional deaths, hospitalizations, and, um, you know, time out from work, et cetera. It's going to be doubly challenging with the coronavirus pandemic because we do know people can get viruses simultaneously, so you can have both of them at the same time. And there's evidence from China that if you have both of them at the same time, your illness may, in fact, be worse. That doesn't even speak to the fact that it's going to um, cause a little bit of uh, confusion within the healthcare system because so many of the symptoms of flu and coronavirus are, 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 are the same. And so we won't really know if someone has flu or coronavirus to start with. So please get a flu shot. We know that's the best way you can prevent the flu, and we know that flu shots, regardless of what we count as their total efficacy, is very effective at diminishing your chance of hospitalizations, uh, ICU stays, or, or death. So please get a flu shot. Coming up, the pro-life 40-day vigil kicked off yesterday. We examine how the debate over reproductive rights is manifesting at the state's only abortion clinic. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Allison Walker, the lady auto mechanic, host of AutoCorrect. If you're enjoying this podcast, try my podcast, AutoCorrect. We help steer you in the right direction with your car problems. Find me on any podcast platform or at autocorrect.mpbonline.org. This is Mississippi Edition. I'm Karen Brown. Members of Pro-Life Mississippi and others are praying on the sidewalk outside the Jackson Women's Health Organization, the only operating abortion clinic in Mississippi. They're joining in a campaign that features similar vigils in more than 500 cities across the country as part of the 40 Days for Life. The recent death of Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg has elevated tensions around the issue of reproductive rights with Supreme Court, with the Supreme Court scheduled to hear cases on abortion restrictions this fall. Many conservatives hope President Trump nominates a replacement that will help overturn the 1973 Roe v. Wade decision that legalized abortion nationally. Pam Miller is with Sidewalk Advocates for Life and is participating in the 40-day vigil. She tells our Kobe Vance she comes to the sidewalk to offer alternatives to women visiting the clinic. We, We are trained to advocate life-affirming options to women because we we have statistics and a lot of women in our organization and and elsewhere out here that have had abortions and we do know what the results are Um, a lot of suffering and regret and um, so we we try to tell them there's a better way there's a different way and offer them hope and help in, in terms of like the Klein Center, which offers free a lot of free services and just our support and um, the fact that they won't lose the baby and, and live a life of regret, possibly. Not, not everyone regrets it that has an abortion, but a lot of women do, and men. Now, what does the 40-day vigil mean to you to be able to come out uh, here and uh, try to talk with, uh, to pray and talk with women? Oh, absolutely. Well, these anybody who wants to fast and pray and, and pray for repentance for the sin of um, in America and of abortion and, and all that leads to that, whether it's sex trafficking, whether it's just 
promiscuity, everything like that. We, we can come out here and pray to God to forgive us and to heal our nation and to change heart. And so after the 40 days, what would you like to see? You know, y'all do this every year. What would you like to see change this year? I would like to see a renewal in the church in America and in our culture, um, a great awakening like we've had in America a couple other times, a great spiritual awakening. And now, Mrs. the United States is in a new position right now. We had a recent passing of a Supreme Court justice who had upheld um, Roe v. Wade for many years. And now we're in a position where that seat could be filled and we could have a, a conservative Supreme Court for the next many years. Um, do you think now is going to be a time that would overturn that um, law? Yeah, well, Sorry. that they passed it as a law. And, of course, we know the Supreme Court does is not supposed to be making laws, but... I was caught up in all of that in 1972, and I, I, I hope to see them address it and turn it back to states where the states will have the say-so, as it should have been in the beginning, and not just a national blanket of abortions legal in every state for all nine months. Or you know, So, I, yes, I would love to see them address it and then overturn it on the national level and hand it back to states. And the last question... Um you know, a lot of these uh, not centers like this not just care for abortions, but also offer other, um, you know, services for women that are struggling. Um, maybe they need um, just some protection or they need um, uh, just guidance on how to proceed, if they, even if they are uh, have it carrying their child. Um, are you concerned that if um, places like th- this clinic here is uh, shut down, that women might not might lose some of those um, resources? Not at all. There are community health centers all over the state. I'm not sure about in every county, but I know in most of the counties. I just got through looking at a list before I came from the house. The Hines, Jackson Hines Comprehensive Health Center that offers this and many more services to women, like complete um, OBGYN checkups, pap smears, and all like that, which this place doesn't. And um, they can get it at, based on their income. Uh, a moving scale, so a lot of that's available um, other than abortion clinics. Pam Miller of Clinton is with Sidewalk Advocates for Life. Also outside the clinic, abortion rights advocates gather to provide support to women seeking services. Dorenda Hancock is a member of the volunteer group that serves as escorts to and from the clinic. We are a group of volunteers. We refer to ourselves as the Pink House Defenders. We are here to escort the women from the parking lot to the clinic door with as little harassment from the anti-choice protesters as possible. Can you tell me about um, the signs that y'all have up that speak out against um, these protests? Uh, Well, just the ones we brought with us today say uh, this clinic stays open, which is a long-term fight for any clinic these days. The second one is, and I don't have it in front of me, so I might not get it exact, but uh, 90, and this is a study, this isn't off the top of our heads, 95% of women do not regret their abortion. And that's what our other sign says, generally. And can you talk about the importance of um, having these signs when women are f- faced with protest from anti, uh, anti-abortion, or pro-life? Sure. I mean, particularly in a case like Mississippi, where this is the last clinic in the state, It's pretty important that women realize we're going to fight every way we have to to keep this clinic open. So that's what that one's about. These people stand on the sidewalk and tell patients going in that 
you're going to regret this for the rest of your life. And that's not true. Many studies have shown 95% of women do not regret having an abortion. So, yeah, it's just to counter their narrative, which has to be done more and on a daily basis. So could you tell me about um, counter-protesting? What is that involvement like? Um, can you tell me about the experience of trying to um, stand up for, uh, for having the right to seek an abortion? We are a unique group of volunteers here. At many clinics, there's no engagement, okay? People just escort. We escort, as I told you, women to the door. We also consider ourselves defenders, which is the, basically the counter-protest side of that. So once we get our patients in as quietly and calmly as possible, we tell them to, you know, we come back at them. You had no business talking to that woman that way. I mean, it's, we have given these sidewalks to them, okay? We've rolled out the red carpet and say, say anything you want to say, do anything you want to do, it's okay. It's not okay. They're not welcome here. They would not be allowed at any other kind of health facility except an abortion clinic. And we've got to quit rolling out the red carpet for these people in order to normalize abortion. And then lastly, you know, we've recently had the, the passing of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who for many years supported the right to have abortions. And um, now it looks like the president is in a position to replace that seat with somebody who would go pro-life. Could you talk about the significance of that for women who are um, relying on this type of clinic? The United States has already basically become an abortion desert. Uh, you know, there's only somewhere, I, this isn't an exact number, but somewhere around 700 abortion clinics left in the United States. And down here in the South, it's more sparse than that. Um, if another conservative judge is appointed, it's likely, very possible, even likely, that Roe v. Wade will be overturned. At that point, it will be a state-by-state -state decision. Here's what happens. If you're wealthy, well-to-do, you can still go to New York, Illinois, one of the, I think it's 27 states that, you know, will not outlaw abortion. But Mississippi has a trigger law, which means the day after Roe v. Wade is overturned, abortion will be illegal here in Mississippi, as well as nine other states. And who does that affect? People of color, poor people. It won't affect the well-to-do here in Mississippi or anywhere in the South. That's who it'll affect. If there's no, if this last clinic closes, what then? Dorenda Hancock is with Pink House Defenders. Close to a dozen states have trigger laws designed to automatically ban abortion if Roe v. Wade is overturned. Coming up in our book club, imagine that a DNA sample could tell you what you should be doing with your life. That's the premise of M.O. Walsh's novel, Big Door Prize. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hi, I'm Chris Boyd, host of Think, a call-in program coming to MPB Think Radio starting Monday, October 5th. Each day, I sit down with scientists, politicians, artists, and authors from around the globe for an in-depth conversation. Join me as we learn something new and take a moment to think. That's Think, starting Monday, October 5th. Coming to you weeknights at 10 on MPB Think Radio.
This is Mississippi Edition. I'm Karen Brown. Author M.O. Walsh instantly became a New York Times bestselling author with his debut novel, My Sunshine Away. The former MFA graduate from the University of Mississippi has a new book, Big Door Prize. It's already garnering high praise. In it, DNA offers more than one's genetic history, Walsh explains. So it's set in a small town called Deerfield, Louisiana. It's a fictional town. And one day at the local grocery store that everybody sort of shops at, a machine shows up. It sort of looks like a photo booth. You know, those old photo booths, you sort of move the curtain and you walk in. It looks like that, but this machine promises that it can analyze a person's DNA and tell them what their sort of body and mind are capable of doing, right? I mean, if everything would have worked out right, what their sort of genetic makeup is hardwired to do. Um, And so you go in there and you swab your cheek with a Q-tip, put it in, it analyzes it. And it spits out this little blue ticket that most often has just one word on it. Uh, And it can be anything from uh, something that's like an athletic thing. You know, maybe you'd be a really good Olympic skater or or something, Uh, or maybe you'd be a great whatever. But then it starts. (laughs) uh, Yeah, right. Then it starts spitting out things that are sort of surprising and unexpected and, and not always connected to the physical body but sometimes connected to sort of societal positions, right? I mean, someone could get governor or something (laughs) or some sort of occupation. And what happens early on in the book is that people are getting some that actually makes some sense to them. And and some of the people in town start trying these out. I mean, there's one character gets entrepreneur, right? And then goes and opens up a little snowball stand and it starts doing really well. And so the way small towns work, the gossip gets around and people get interested and curious in this machine. And so that's sort of how the book kicks off and we have a our main couple that's been married for 15 years very much in love with each other and they both try this machine but get sort of very different readouts that send them kind of emotionally in different directions and so that's sort of the launching point of the book but there's various other characters who are dealing with either the new vision of themselves they've gotten from this machine or their reluctance to try it and things like that is there anything for some of the people that comes out and they go oh i dreamed about this or when i was a kid this is what i wanted to do well, yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, and so so much of it becomes sort of interpretive, right? I mean, it's, it's how do you want to interpret what this thing is telling you? Because sometimes it can be kind of vague. There's a character in the book who's already a very sort of accomplished uh, musician, and they get a readout that tells them they should be a magician instead of a musician. <laughs> and everyone thinks that's sort of crazy because they're already so well established. But the truth of the matter is, this is what this person always wanted to be growing up. And so when, whenever they get that, it sort of strikes a chord in their heart, you know, and sort of ignites this, this interest again. As this plays out, are we seeing a variety of reactions that some people go off and do it, some people don't regret not doing it, some people don't do it and have no problem not doing it? Yeah, I mean, you really you really sort of get a sense of the whole town acting in sort of strange new ways <laughs> as, they're, as they're trying different things out. One of the things I became really interested in is that almost everybody likes to think that there's something else out there. I mean, that's, that's sort of why we keep going, right? I mean, we always want the bigger house or the, or the new job or whatever, and we always feel like we're reaching for something else out there. And the more I was writing that type of scenario, the more I recognized how interesting the opposite side of that would be, which is some people have already reached their potential sort of by being who they are. And so in a weird way, I think if that person goes and gets a readout and basically tells them, no, look, you've already done it, like it's it's spitting out who they already are. In a weird way, that would be like more depressing. Yeah, Uh, you you know, I mean, forward to. Yeah, right. I mean, you would think that'd be a reason to celebrate because look, look what you've done with your life. You've maxed it out. You've done great. But in a weird way, yeah, that would I think that would really sort of sink some people. M.O., as people review your books, I see often they talk about your prose. 
and that stands out, how lovely your prose is. Is the prose more important in, or does it factor more into setting a mood or a scene or a character description or a plot point? Thank you for bringing that up. And I love anytime I see that, because I think that really is where my care is. And I mean, I think a long time ago, I recognize that I'm reading books for sentences. That's really sort of the motor that gets me through books, more, much more so than plot. And if I don't like the language, right, if I'm, not, if I'm not really entranced by the prose, I put it down without guilt. For me, when I sit down to work, I'm really just thinking sentence to sentence and trying to make them as clear as possible. That's the main thing is just trying to communicate clearly, trying to make a stranger see something in front of them that doesn't really exist just by using the alphabet. It's a, it's a strange phenomenon. But that's my goal. Anytime I hear that about the pros, that means a lot to me because that really is my focus. Would you say that Big Door Prize has a sense of wanderlust about it? I hope that it has lots of things going on. I mean, there's some mystery to the book, too, some sort of subplots that hopefully keep people turning pages. But then I also hope that it's a book that a lot of people can see themselves in, especially especially right now with this quarantine stuff and everything that's been going on. And people sort of reevaluating their job. Or if they lost a job, well, what am I going to do now? Should I take a chance and go for that thing I've sort of always wanted to do but been afraid of? I hope it speaks to people like that. And also people that maybe didn't lose their job but now have to do it from home and realize, you know, I don't like this work. I like to go into the office maybe and see in my friends. But now that it's just me and the computer, I recognize that this is not fulfilling me. I hope people see maybe if it's wanderlust, it's maybe tapping into their own. M.O. Walsh is the author of Big Door Prize. I wish you the best with it. Thank you so much for being with us, M.O. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate it. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter, and fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.